You're listening to the Legendarium Blue Team. You have chosen wisely. Please go to patreon.com slash legendarium to support the show. Yeah, there, there's a reason I don't want to date superheroes or paladins, and it's because the people they love always get hurt. And I just I just want to date, like, you know, computer analyst or something. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to The Legendarium. This is episode 231, and we are the Blue Team. Welcome, everybody. Hopefully, you are as excited as we are to do Death Masks, uh, the next book in the series, in the Dresden File series. Not the most recent, because obviously he's read a lot, he's written a lot, and we're trying to catch up to him as best we can. Uh, we, are, we are your regular Blue Team panel. We've got Ken over on the side. We've got Megan right next to me. And, uh, of course, if you recognize my voice, pity you. Um, I'm Todd, and we're ready to have some fun. Before we get started, we'll just do our regular, uh, our regular, very brief uh, housekeeping. You know you can reach out to us, uh, thelegendarianpodcast.com. You can reach out to us on Reddit. You can reach out to us on Discord. Patreon, boy, we'd love to have you there. If, if, uh, if you are so inclined and you enjoy this show, find us on Patreon. We'd love to have you join us as a Patreon subscriber. Uh, and keep in mind that everything that, uh, that we do here is made for you and in many ways by you. Uh, so thank you very much for those of you who are Patreon subscribers. We genuinely, genuinely appreciate the uh, faith and the trust and the uh, contributions that you make along the way. All true things. So I'm ta- I realized today I'm, f- I'm feeling better than I felt in the last couple of episodes. The last couple of episodes that we were doing, that we were recording, I didn't feel well. Uh, and it probably played out pretty clearly because I wasn't talking my normal super fast. If you've been listening to us, if you're used to listening to us at 1.5 speed and you realized that I sound like a chipmunk or that you didn't catch any of that last stuff, you might need to slow us back down to normal. Um, but part of that is because I am so excited about talking about this book. Yeah. Um, Dresden, the Dresden Files has not been slow and it has not been hard to engage with. No. But oh my goodness. This one took me by surprise in a couple of places and made me say, do I really want to go back to reading Dune? I mean, we got one book left and I'm <laughs> kind of thinking I want to jump a little more into Dresden. So uh, we'll, we do have one book left in Dune. We will be recording Dune. Uh, we will be doing Dune. Um, God, Emperor. God Emperor of Dune. Yeah. Uh, no, Dune's about to get extra weird. We have to read that. Yeah. Right? Oh, my goodness. Uh, it's going to be fun. But I'm still thinking about Dresden. Dresden I'm still thinking about Dresden. We're, we're gonna. It's the same thing that we do when we uh, when we have to do a chore. Is if we do this chore, then we <laughs> then we can go out for ice cream. <laughs> and Frank Herbert is so, going to be rolling God, over his grave, God knowing Emperor that he Dune, is the chore. God, Emperor of Dune is sweeping the floor and doing the dishes, <laughs> and Blood Rites is going and getting a an ice cream sundae. Well, and and and. and, and Blood rights, ice cream sundae. Okay, I'll go with that. I'll <laughs> there go we go. Done. Strawberry Put a little on strawberry top. on. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> yep. You know what I'm doing. Like the way you think. Um, well, as we typically do, before we get into really what we think about the uh, what we think about the book and what we thought, where we found things, Ken, do you have a recap for us on this one? <laughs> do I have a recap on this one? Uh, I don't but, know. You don't always. No, it's only on. <sighs> I'm sorry. It's, wow. it's only on chore books. It's only Jeez. on chore books that he doesn't come up with a recap. Talk about I'm, a wet I'm just blanket. so bitter about the time that he made me do the recap. And that was <laughs> horrifying. So please read your prepared well, recap because they're so good. Question. What's more awesome than a super cool kick butt night of the cross? 
three super cool <laughs> kick butt knights of the cross. Amen. Yeah. That's all. No. Just, <laughs> it might as it, it yeah. could be all and Sums it would it be just nicely. fine. All right. A red court big bad, the Shroud of Turin, 30 fallen demons, the entire Knights of the Cross, Johnny Marconi's goons, Susan and some dude, and that's just in the first seven chapters. And a partridge in a pear tree. I, yep, I was going there. <laughs> just in the first seven chapters, and they all want a piece of Harry Blackstone Copperfield Dresden. So, the, quote, freaking Shroud of Turin has gone missing. <laughs> End quote. <laughs> and Harry has been hired to find it. As the only wizard private eye on the block, it makes sense. Fortunately, Harry has actual help for a change. Susan and some dude are back from the Professor Blade school of living the best of both worlds, complete with all the cool parts of being a vampire without all the whole melts in the sun thing. Oh, and Michael, the awesomest paladin ever, is back. Yay! And he brought friends. Yeehaw. That's right. My name is Sonia. Evil, oh, we're gonna get this. <laughs> Evil demons show up, itching to use the shroud to launch a plague, and recruiting Harry to take up their place with a piece of silver to join them. Of course, he says his version of no, and so the night, so did the Knights of the Cross. This is oh, it was so great. Evil demon comes in and he's all like, "Rar!" And Sonya gets hurt, and Shiro's like, "Oh no, I'm trapped." Then Harry looks up to the fire escape, and Michael's all, "Whoosh, chosh, slash, superhero landing!" And Ursiel, the demon, is like, "Ugh!" And his head falls off, and Michael's all sad hero pose. There you go. <laughs> that's the scripting. That, that's that's what the screenplay will look like. That that's right. That's in the screenplay. Yeah. Red Court Duke comes to town wanting to fight Harry for the right to declare winners in the war with the White Council, advocated over by their very own seven-year-old Bene Gesserit prescient. <laughs> yeah. Nicely done. Yeah. You bet. Fighting happens, chaos ensues, Vampire Duke declares vengeance will occur and ends up with a satellite on his, a satellite on his head, courtesy of Ebenezer. <laughs> no one ever expects it, really. No. In the end, Susan leaves, Shiro dies, sad face, Harry has his sword to pass on to his replacement. The shroud is saved, but Nicodemus survives to fight another day. But before he skips town and makes sure to stop by and drop off a shiny little present for Harry, but he's able to scoop it up before little Harry Carpenter can grab it and demon out. And really that would be kind of freaky cool to see little two-year-old demon. It'd be like little Jack Harry. Jack. Yeah. So when he buries it in his basement without making mention of it to the remaining Knights of the Cross, I'm sure that decision will never come back to oh, bite no. Harry right, in the butt. Right, So... <laughs> Two coins down. That's right. These <laughs> my precious. So two coins down, twenty-eight to go. Is this the start of a Marcone heel face turn? That's I wonder. Who is going to take up Fideliacus and replace Shiro? And seriously, how creepy is he how, how creepy was Nicodemus's parting be seeing you, Harry? It's like ugh, I just jump right out of my skin when he says that. Yeah, oh, man, this book was so good. All right. <laughs> All right, that's that. And if you don't like that recap, then darn you unto heck. Wow. There Ken is wow. totally smoking that was, a cigarette that right was now. Really Gosh, nice. I, that yeah, well, yeah, he yeah. might be smoking too. Um, so, and Ken doesn't smoke. So um nope. so I, I take it that we are kind of in agreement on this one that this was this was a pretty good book. This is a pretty good book. I, I will say that I was disappointed a little bit by the ending, but we don't have to go there yet. I, I enjoyed it overall and read it really fast. Okay. Fortunately, I don't have a lot going on at work right now, so I could quietly <laughs> read sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious as to why you didn't think the ending was so great. It's just we'll get too, to it. We'll get, get to it. All right, we'll get to it. Sometimes I'm fine with beginning with the end in mind, you know. <laughs> That's true. 
Well, when we've run out of other things to talk about or when we've decided that we've just run out of time, we'll make sure that that's the thing that we talk about. Ken, um, this is now this is is have we finally hit the spot in the Dresden Files where you are in no man's land? You don't know anymore. We're close to there. Okay, we're close to there. So yes. you still got. Yeah, you don't want to know yet what I know. Okay. Okay. Well, so. that's. I, oh, I can't well. wait to see how his recaps change when we get to a place where he doesn't know what's coming. Yes. Um, <laughs> so this is your second time through, third time through uh, on this book? Third? Okay. Yeah. Third okay. time through Death Masks. So has it held together for you as well the third time through? It's gotten better. Okay. Honestly, it's it's gotten better. It's he He packs so much into this book. That I I wasn't kidding. Like all of these things that happened in the first seven chapters, he just piles stuff in. It's like the everything casserole. You know, it's like I got to clean out the fridge. Let's just throw everything in there, and you get good stuff from all of it. Every bite's gonna have something you like. I don't. Why am I onto the food today? I uh-huh, bites. I was oh, thinking bites. about Thomas, and you said bites. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And yeah, yeah, that's right. Vampire. Oh yeah, <laughs> Thomas. Is, I did see, and there are things I didn't mean. Thomas is back. You know, as, I, I, I'll as second Thomas. To, Let's let's be honest. As soon as they said that there was going to be a second for this duel that was going to be taking place, I'm saying to myself, dude, it's going to have to be Thomas. It's going to have to be Thomas. <laughs> but you thought for him. No, no, I I I kind of I kind of wondered if it could be for Harry, but I I had the feeling that he was going to pick Michael, which of course he does, but he doesn't. Right. Um, but yeah, when when he shows up as the second for for uh Mr. Mr. Uh, Big Bad and welcome to my welcome to my satellite. Um, <laughs> that was that, that was absolutely delightful. Right. Uh-huh. And I'm sitting there and I'm saying to myself, this could not work out better for Harry. Yeah. <laughs> and I and, and at the same time, everybody. Well, let's dig into it. Let's let's dig okay. into a little bit. Um, so the, the first thing that I wanted to that I want to bring mention to you and Ken, you talk about it, it shows up at the very beginning. The rest of the Knights of the Cross. Yeah. showing up um we see this we we see this event where um where harry's walking past an old man and a drunk that's you know kind of st- stumbling around a little bit and he makes eye contact with him and as soon as that happens i say to myself oh no 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 <laughs> these are not throwaway characters this jim butcher does not write throwaway characters like that no every time we've seen somebody but i have to admit as soon as i i was expecting that those two characters were going to be the hitmen that were coming after him. Oh, yeah, oh. I was too. Pleasantly surprised when all of a sudden this Japanese guy, old wizened Japanese guy says, no. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's one of my favorite tropes in literature is the old Japanese guy who turns out to be a totally kick-A character. I'm, I just yeah. love that. Why, why aren't American, old American guys that kick-A? I don't know. Anyway, she says continue. that looking at me as the old American guy in the room. Thanks. I think I'm pretty kick. I don't, I don't, think I'm they're not, not as old as she, I'm not as old as Shiro. I want to say something sure. funny, but I'm a little caught off guard. <laughs> well, they're not. I, mean, I think you get plenty of the example of, you get plenty of good ideas or good um, examples of, of cool, right. tough, old. That's true. Americans. Clint Eastwood. Nobody wants to go against oh, him. Oh man. Yeah. Ever, ever. Arnold Schwarzenegger. I could see you growing into an Arnold Schwarzenegger. Although, <laughs> thanks, I appreciate he, that. He was he was never technically American, though. Well, uh, no, but he was. But he Californian. was an American action star. But he yeah. but he is uh, he was a former go- governor of California now, so that's got to make him American he's somehow. To, you know, well, was wait, yeah, I was. <laughs> I'm like, wait, did they get a war? Yeah, yeah that kind of went bad. Anyway, never mind. 
Oh, the, wait, wait, the reality, but you're right, Megan. That is a that is a useful trope. All I just, of us that I grew love up it. with whenever that happens, I'm like, yes, you go, guy. All of us that grew up with, I'll, I'll tell you my 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 two favorite Japanese old old man Japanese wise people. Okay. One of them, of course, is Mr. Miyagi. Yes. Oh yeah. We have to have Mr. Miyagi, right? Sure. But the other one is Arnold from Happy Days. All right. <laughs> do you remember? Do you remember? I don't think I ever watched it. I knew that Mr. Miyagi was Arnold from Happy Days. But <laughs> Same actor. Yeah. Oh, Magnificently perfect. played. My my favorite is from uh, World War Z, but that's that's a, another subject for another day. Anyway, it, Night it, of the Realm. Woo! It is kind of fun that um, that the the portrayal of now now, but this is one of the things that I thought was interesting about this. It's fun that the portrayal of the Knights of the Cross includes. And a, a wizened Japanese samurai swordmaster, mm -hmm. but we've also got an agnostic slash atheist slash not sure exactly who he is, and the way that all three of these knights of the cross come together is a fascinating story. What did you make of what did you make of Shiro's uh, process of becoming a knight of the cross? <laughs> I love it, only because I. I can see uh, that that was a lot of there's a lot of stuff like that that happens uh, that used to happen back in you know, the early days of American colonization. I guess I don't want to say it like Americans, you know, colonial uh, imperialist or anything like you're, that. You're but talking about was, what you know. Get it. We, but there we was a it. lot of that, you know, when Americans were in like the, your, uh, the Asian theater and stuff like that and war mm -hmm. and all that where. OK, now you are now. Christian, congratulations. You, you didn't know you became Christian, but yeah, you are. And so he just kind of, you know, Shiro, the accidental Baptist, you know. No. Oh, okay. It's I, I great. Remember. I mean, it, it's funny that that's the way it happened. And it's interesting that it didn't change the fact that his honor was his honor. You know what I mean? It's like, okay, well, that's fine. Also, I still have faith in a higher power. And that faith is what, that's the thing I like about the, the Knights of the Cross, by the Me way, too. and about paladins in general is that the faith magic is, is where the power is. There's, there's true power in belief of goodness and righteousness and, and, uh, yeah. And I, I really enjoy that the three knights are of different cultures and they're different religions, but they all have this common purpose in mind, which yep. is to defeat evil because they know that is definitely a thing. Yeah. Yeah, because evil is evil, regardless of whether I believe it or not. I can see it. Yeah. There's a there's kind of a fascinating, um, I, at least for me, and maybe not fascinating, maybe, but 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 certainly entertaining, play on words that they used in Shiro's story when he said that he was listening to music by Elvis, and then we've got the collection of Velvet Elvi. Never mind. We'll come to that later. Yay! Um, and <laughs> then I'm spending quotes. I'm spending my entire summer in, in, just completely immersed in Elvis music because of a show that I'm doing. Mm -hmm. uh, but as they're talking about that, they say, you know, would, would you like to now come back and meet the king? And he says, he says, sure. I thought I was going to meet Elvis. Yeah. Um, this, but but this this idea, this this play on words, this use of words that that Jim Butcher is doing feels like as he's moved in we're now in the fifth book it feels more literary than it does just mickey spillane novel does mm -hmm. that make sense yeah it feels like one of the one of the things that i've really started to enjoy and like i say maybe it's not fascinating maybe it's fun but i like the fact that the the his word usage his his craft 
seems to have improved fairly fairly pleasantly yeah. along the way in the last five books. Now I recognize that you know we don't necessarily know where these show up in his actual writing process, but in the publication process, there's at least as much going on with with the the crafting of dialogue, the crafting of uh, the his word choice as he describes different things that are going on, and it it makes it makes it very clear that we are not only um, growing in our understanding and appreciation of Dresden, but we're also watching and experiencing the growth and development of someone who really truly is a modern uh, powerhouse mm-hmm. in the world of urban fantasy. Yeah, mm-hmm. and it's nice to be able to have that early ma- that early material and be able to work through it and enjoy it as it comes along. Mm-hmm. I found that I found that um, that that was a place where that showed up for me um, as he's weaving this thread throughout his throughout his book. Uh, this time around. So. Well, and I, I really, with all of them, I have enjoyed all of these books. It's one of the reasons why I suggested them to read as a group. Um, and one of the reasons I said, yes, please. Yes, please. Uh, but this book in particular, it was just funny. Like, it wasn't just funny. It was funny. There were so many lines <laughs> yeah. in there. I'm just, I'm sitting there reading at lunch, at, you know, random counter, and I'm just laughing, going, are people looking at me wondering, what in the world is she doing? <laughs> I am the foremost collector of Velvet Elvi in the Chicago area. Yeah. Apple sucks and blows, Murph. And it's just so great. There, there were certainly a, so many funny so many a lot of a lot of moments for a book that is especially following on the on the on the heels of Summer Night, which I thought was absolutely one of the most fall down, roll on the floor laughing. I know I could have said it R O F L. But 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 for that book for me was just absolutely hilarious. Mm-hmm. It was almost an excuse to try as much comedy as he possibly could. Shifting into a much darker book, yeah. Um, this book was this book was certainly in tone much darker. But to be able to keep some of that humor popping up and to keep it contextually valid, I, I bought that that the relationships allow him to be to be as flippant as he is at mm-hmm. times and people just kind of take it and roll with it. Mm-hmm. Sure. It was a lot of fun. Well, and he, even as dark as it is, it wasn't maybe I maybe I'm miss uh, getting the words wrong. It, it was dark but not heavy. Yeah. Although there were a couple of heavy spots. There are a couple of heavy spots. So I by the way, I wanted to speaking of comedy, the line that almost made it into the recap but didn't you suck diseased moose wang. <laughs> <laughs> I just, yeah. I, I had to stop and I just laughed. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> the, the thing that makes Harry so interesting to me, part of it is part of it is that we get to hear him say, "I decided not to say this, so I said this instead." And sometimes I'm like, it doesn't matter which one you pick; it's all going to be bad at that point in time. But but we we get these. We get these moments where as as he's going along and he finds himself in the worst possible the the one that I liked was when he said uh it, he was talking to Murph and or to uh, Susan and she said yeah the beetle looks a little bit more ba- banged up what's going on he said well the two on the side was uh was a bunch of trees and the one on the front was a chlorophene a chlorophene yeah plant monster why didn't you just say plant monster and i remembered <laughs> in that book yeah why didn't I just say plant monster? <laughs> just a beautiful little kind of call. It, anyway, I found it fun. I'm glad you guys are smiling nice politely at me. But, yeah. uh, some some really interesting things going that I way. Know. But it was it was cool the night is like spending so much time with the Knights of the Cross that we got to see a lot more of Michael's home life. I really enjoyed yes. meeting his daughter Molly. I thought she was hilarious. 
Molly and um, Molly's mom. Oh my gosh. I felt charity, like I was back yeah. at my house. Yeah. Because right now we yep. got a 14 year old and I am riding a roller coaster. Oh no. And I can totally see your wife as charity. I can too. Oh, yep. I see it. Although I do not see myself as Michael, but I. Do you not like Charity? I mean. No, I really like her. Oh, because you kind of just kind of like gave a. No, no, no. My, my, I'm thinking really hard face. Oh. Looks a lot like my RBF face. Like your disapproval face? Like my, I'm angry or I'm tired or I don't want to be here face. Yeah. yeah, I don't know why. I, I, No, I think Charity's amazing. And that was, I mean, that was one of the things I wanted to talk about in this story where I love that they have all of this. You know, she keeps her uh, guest room with all of these piles of fabric. And they said all this stuff where, like, she is such a good sewer. And then it turns out at the end that, yeah, she built motorcycles. She made my armor. Yeah. she's in, And I'm just like, she oh, my gosh, not... she gets cooler every second. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, I love I love getting the chance to see a lot of the motivation behind everything that she is. I mean, family is mm-hmm. everything. Mm-hmm. Michael is everything. And it's not just in the... Uh, you know, throwaway woman. Oh, he, she's only here to be a prop for the man type of way. It's literally her family is her most important thing, and every motivation and every bit of her belief is in uh, is in what the light magic, you know, it's, is, yeah. and in the power of faith magic, and in Michael's being a knight of the cross, and not not just in a passive way. In a you know, I built his armor. I support this. Mm-hmm. I don't like. Harry, because Harry's going to get my knight killed, you know? Yeah. And at the same time, I I uh, highlighted this section because I just felt like it said a lot about her and the kind of person I would like to be more like. Um, uh, Harry, he's, you know, she's talking with Harry and um, Michael's out and and Harry's like, well, he's he's trying to get her. I don't remember what the exact context is. So I'm just going to read this. It says you could have lied. Her face registered comprehension and some fire came back into her eyes. I don't like you, Mr. Dresden. I certainly don't care enough for you to abandon beliefs I hold dear, to use you as an excuse to cheapen myself or to betray what my husband stands for. She stepped to a cabinet and got out a small medical kit. Without another word, she took my hand in the paper towel and opened the kit. So you're taking care of me, I asked. I don't expect you to understand whether or not I can personally stand you has no bearing on what choices I make. Michael is your friend. He would risk his life for you. It would break his heart if you came to grief, and I will not allow that to happen. Yeah, she. Yeah. There's, there's a, there's, there's something really kind of, and these are these are Harry's books, mm-hmm. and so, and and whether and and there's probably people out there that will uh, be irritated by the fact that uh, Jim Butcher doesn't spend more time talking about and developing in more detail all of the ancillary characters. As mm-hmm. a result, some of the ancillary characters. Uh, become a little bit, feel a little bit two-dimensional at different times. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this is a moment, uh, a glimpse, where we get a real three-dimensional view of charity. And yeah. it also, by extension, gives us a real good three-dimensional view of Michael and of mm-hmm. the relationship that they have. And it feels to me very much like um, Michael, and, Michael and Charity are the absolute foil for the kind of life that Harry has to choose. Oh, yeah. Um, because he has to be, and especially now, um, alone in the things that he's doing. Whereas Michael's opportunity, Michael's involvement allows him, in fact, almost demands him to have um, a partner and to be involved in all of the other aspects. The other thing that I really liked about uh, some of the conversation about charity in this in this spot 
is we get a view of her as, at least from my experience, this is an accurate depiction of what a mother of multiple children at multiple age groups with a very tight timeline and one reliable piece of transportation and all of those kinds of, all of those bits and pieces Mm -hmm. that are supposedly part of this family. I looked at, as I was reading through that, I went, yeah, this is exactly what life at the (laughs) Wente household or, and I'm sure Ken, you probably felt the same, you know, life at the Johnson household. When, when this is the way these things fit together and you've got this kind of time and everything has to be fit together, somebody runs it Mm -hmm. and they run it with the precision of, uh, of a militarized machine and it just, you don't, you don't stop just because somebody has a boo-boo. Everything doesn't yeah. stop. You keep moving along and you get everything taken care of. Yeah. And, and, and watching Shiro and Sonia and their interactions with charity yeah. and around Michael with charity. Um, if I remember right, there's a, there's a moment where they're, uh, where Harry and Shiro are driving and Shiro kind of gives his perspective on charity. Um, and, and kind of gives Michael a, or gives, uh, gives Harry an indication that, that there is a lot more involved in their relationship than Harry has any clue. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, knowing Jim Butcher's writing the way that I do, I'm kind of curious if we're going to see, get more opportunities to glimpse that in a little bit more detail and a little bit more depth. Yeah. Um, especially at the end of the, because at the end of the novel, we're treated to this barbecue over at... A barbecue in February with green grass. I love that. I why love that not? depiction. <laughs> yeah, why not? When Susan when Susan looks at the at the house and says, His grass is green. It's February and his grass is green. Harry, what the hell? <laughs> <laughs> um, what do we think about Sonya, the agnostic knight? I love it. I love it for this reason. I'm pulling it up right now. Um when he when when Harry first meets him and gets to question him about uh, the paradox of being a, a atheist knight of the cross, he says, uh, "I've been an atheist since childhood. You've got to be kidding me! You're a knight of the cross." Da, he said. So if you're not religious, you risk your life to help other people because because it must be done. He answered without hesitation. For the good of the people, some must place themselves in harm's way. Some much must pledge their courage and their lives to protect the community. Which is a very communist thing to say. Mm-hmm. It is a very communist thing to say. If you think about it, but at the same time is a very community-based thing to believe in terms of I have to stand for those who can't stand for themselves. It's So yeah, it's you can see how, how a communist perspective and a individualist community type perspective could converge on that, yeah. on that point. But I think there's no reason that those two things have to be contradictory. So why couldn't there be an atheistic night of the cross? I mean, you know, my favorite phrase, uh, one of, one of my favorite phrases over the last 15 years or so has become the phrase public virtue. Uh, and it seems that it seems that Sonia, uh, appreciates the fact that, that public virtue, the idea of doing something for the good of, of everyone is reliant upon those who can, yeah. And he is one who can. Um, who can and who will. And who and who chooses to. Let's talk a little bit more about why he chooses it, though. Did it surprise you? Ken, obviously not. Well, you both of you guys, this is your second time reading through. No, um, it's my first time. Oh, this was your first time? Yeah, I'd only read the first three. Okay. So 
uh, Megan, maybe you and I get to have this conversation and, and Ken gets to laugh at us and grin just a little bit. Well, Did it surprise you when, uh, when it was revealed that Sonia had been one of those fallen and that he had been saved by Shiro? did but it also made a lot of sense to me because mm -hmm. i feel like the people who are able to i don't want to say pull themselves like get away from that sort of situation end up being the ones who want to help yeah more um uh, you caught me off guard uh, i apologize so you say something well i uh, for me um i don't think it was telegraphed necessarily no it really wasn't but it was there's there was just enough hinting uh, and, but it didn't, but it didn't happen long before it happens in the chapter. And as they start having this conversation, no, you know, it once, you know, once, once somebody takes one of these coins, well, you know, some of them get tricked by it and some of them don't. And all of these kinds of, all of this conversation about, well, you know, but once they've been taken over by the coin, once the coin has taken its effect, it can't be, it can't be changed. I'm seeing that. And I'm like, Oh, oh yeah. this is going to be a beautiful moment, Harry. Thank you for, thank you for the setup. And, and I think that, at least for me, as I read that particular chapter, um, Harry's, while Harry, I, I, I think, I, and I'm trying to remember if it was Shiro that said it, but somebody said that the, the knights work in black and white and that Harry works all in these shades yeah. of gray. Yeah. Right. And it seems that oftentimes when Harry is, is very much in the gray and everybody else around him is in the black and white, is when we get chances for Harry to get really mad and frustrated with everybody else and their and and their clarity of thought or their their inability to understand those shades of gray that he has yeah. to deal with. They have the privilege of being able to be in the black and white. And when we're when all of this conversation is going on, and then when it comes out and it says, "Well, no, it can change," and Sonia is our example as to why. Yeah, and and Sonia would be the one who would know how awful it is to be like how seductive that the dinars the dinarians i don't know um i, I personally feel like that's a silly name and that was, distracted me the entire book didn't but they, uh, didn't they uh given a uh give a reason for that name like the, it refers well yeah they it's are the, the coin as they a are the dinar. A dinar. that's what yeah okay. yeah and that's because why. they are the ones who are infected by it they are the dinarians right it just distracted me because i wrote a story in a uh, junior high it was a star trek <laughs> fan fiction Nice. And they went to a planet and it was Denaria. And I call them the Denarians. And so every time I read that, oh. I was just like, Oh, <laughs> so it was a planet populated by demon people. Nice. I like that. Well, they were dinosaurs, but it was a whole other thing. Anyway. Oh, okay. Okay. Uh, um, no, but he would know better than anyone the effect. And, and if it were impossible to really be able to break that bond with the Dinars, then Sonya wouldn't be able to fight yeah. the way that he does. Like he trying to protect other people from it because he knows firsthand what it is, but he was able to break that and he knows that it is possible. So I think it's really a very strong choice to have that particular, um, I don't want to say virtue, characteristic of this character. Okay. Let, like let's add some Reddit questions into this discussion because a lot of them, not surprising, were about how awesome the Knights of the Cross were. <laughs> So, Aranda, Ken, did you start the thing? Did you start the Reddit post by saying, "By the way, if any of you would like to talk about how awesome the Knights of the Cross are, that's right. This would be the, I, this would be the podcast. I will to do be it. joining you. I just think exactly. it's an indication of how awesome our fans are. Yeah. Right. Okay. So, Arandis, he he go with it. Asks several questions, and several of them refer to the Knights. 
For example, one of them, do you have a favorite part from the series? For him, it was chapter 28, which encapsulates what the Knights of the Cross are all about. And a great microcosm for Dresden, the money quote, of course, I turned away from him again and said very quietly, people like you always mistake compassion for weakness. Michael and Sonya aren't weak. Fortunately for you, they're good men. Cassius laughed at me. Unfortunately for you, I'm not. Yeah. yeah. And then Michael gets to, or not Michael, uh, Harry, gets Harry gets to, to Harry operate in out. those Great unconstrained gray areas and punch him in the face or mm -hmm. whatever he did. I can't remember where as Michael and Sonya could he not because, yeah. because yeah. the faith magic is based on structure and based on that absolute, um, you know, where mm -hmm. he has, even if it's a cursory, you know, merely by voice repented of his association with the Denarian, you can't, you can't just say, well, in this case, it doesn't count because the faith magic is absolute in, and that's where it draws its power. And so they have to sit back, but my, uh, but Harry can go. Harry, Harry had the virtue or the, or the, uh, the latitude of being able to read intent and he doesn't have to work in that white and that, that white black and white area and recognizing the intent allows him to, and, and I, um, I have to admit that. Uh, that scene uh, stands out in 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 this particular book, in, uh, but also within the series, as one of the moments where I say to myself, you know, Harry, with or without magic, is an individual that has a that has a standard. He has a code, and the code is about right and wrong as he understands it, mm -hmm. um, not as not as uh, as as prescribed by uh, some kind of, of set of arbitrary rules. No, 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 no. It's about intent. And I really, and he, he mentions that in his magic all the time. It's his intent. It's the yeah. will. And maybe we'll get a chance to talk about that in the, in the duel a little bit later. Well, anyway, his other questions. Uh, I was going to say, you can tell that Harry, he, he tries to, to see, or it, it, it feels like he's supposed to be seen as a you know, not good, not bad. He straddles that line. He'll go where he needs to. But based on his associations, mm -hmm. based on the fact that the Knights of the Cross, that Father Fort Hill, that these Catholic priests show up to ask him to find the Shroud of Turin, that good people, people on the righteous side of the ledger, keep showing up to associate yeah. themselves with Harry. Clearly, he is not nearly as bad a guy as maybe he likes to see himself, which, I mean, and he's got some... As uh, Scarlet, or as a um, Black or Widow, it, let's say, or as, as Natasha Romanoff would say, he's got some red in his ledger, you know. Yeah. And, and so he thinks of himself as a bad guy, but I don't think he's nearly as bad as he thinks he is. Yeah, I really appreciate it when I, I just wrote down this one line of Shiro's where it says, fighting is never good, but sometimes necessary. Yeah. Like it's nobody, uh, very few people feel, you know, good people feel good about, you know, doing what they have to do. They don't want to fire a gun at a terrible person. They don't, you know, somebody that they know is going to do them harm. But sometimes you have to do it to protect That's the right. people or my, who can't do it for themselves or yeah. won't. Or as my very favorite shirt, uh, my very favorite Dungeons and Dragons shirt says about paladins, lawful good does not mean lawful nice. <laughs> huh, that is true. So, we really need to play more d, d Oh, man. Okay, here's another question from Arandis. <laughs> Uh, what are your thoughts on the Denarians? Do you like the concept or not? I mean, I know Megan doesn't like the name. But the name is silly. The concept is very cool and just breeds a lot of opportunities for the future. Oh, my goodness. Especially since there are 28 of them still out there. Well, and, and especially Nicodemus. since Harry 
buried, quote unquote, one under his floor. But, you know, that's I mean, you said it in your recap. That's going to come back to haunt him. Bite him. I mean, I reckon that the moment that I, I and I and I, I I say this in theater all the time that if there if there was clear communication, if people yeah. would actually talk to each other about what's going on. We would avoid most of theater. Mm -hmm. So hallelujah <laughs> that we have no no communication because it gives us good theater. But in this one, I, this is going to be I, 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 I'm projecting forward in my mind and seeing this as one of those moments where Harry's going to say, I was trying to stop your kid from doing it. Yeah, but you took it. Yeah. When he picked yeah. it up and put it in his pocket, I it was oh. good that I was at work or else I would have started yelling at the book. Yeah. <laughs> what are you doing? Yeah. You and when he says someone. He, Burying it under two under two feet of concrete in the basement. I'm sorry. Uh, With a copper ring around it. It know, is going to like binding. grow into some evil plant. It is very of dinars. Don't feed the plant. <laughs> um, but but yeah, I like the concept, and I and I. But I also I also think it's in, it's fascinating that each the manifestation of each of the demonic yeah. forms yeah. is different. Oh my goodness, that yeah. was really cool. So cool. Um, I've, so many good questions. All right, let's go to Pino Graham here really quick. The swords of the cross are weapons that seem to be customized to the wielder. So if any of you would become a knight of the cross, what type of sword would yours be? Rapier. A rapier? It would be a it would it would be a rapier and it would not be a single weapon. It would be a matched set of a rapier and a main gauche left-handed dueling dagger. Can you do that? Yes. Sure, why not? Anyway, why not? I'm not really a swordy fellow, so I feel like you're not Mine. really a fellow at all, just just so we're clear on that. Sorty gal. Um, <laughs> so mine, I feel mine would more likely be like either a fork, a really big fork, or a baseball bat. <laughs> like, hey, I hadn't thought about the baseball bat, but uh, like, okay. Uh, like, uh-huh, uh exactly like lift. her. Yeah. Like lift. There you go. A baseball bat would be great. Did you guys ever see... <laughs> I would, I would love a baseball bat. I have you know, a baseball, righteous would, baseball bat. I have a baseball bat at home that is my I have a baseball bat tool. next to my bed in case of zombies. Yes. I do too. I have two of them, as a matter of fact. Yep. But this is a radical tangent, but did you ever read, Todd specifically, and Megan maybe, but did you ever read Mage, no. the comic book in the 80s? Oh, yeah. It was the guy who had the magic baseball bat? Yeah. Yeah. Briefly. Briefly. <laughs> yeah. So that was pretty cool. Yeah. I just remember the concept of the magic baseball bat was awesome. So, but <laughs> what about you, Ken? I would probably take a broadsword. Yeah. Just I see you know, you as one a of those cool, guy. you know, standard broadsword. Your nice. soldiers would be even more amazing. Right. Wielding that thing. Yeah. One of those good two hand. Yep. Type jobbers. Yeah. I'll remember that about you. Um, here's a level three question for Todd, courtesy of Arandis. Oh, thank you. Shiro's sacrifice was made in part to save Dresden's soul. Dresden's choices appear to be leading him down the wrong path. Dresden even acknowledges this after Shiro's death, though not to the degree of Shiro. Has anyone made changes to the course of your life or someone you uh, know the way Shiro may have done for Dresden? And is it more about the person making the sacrifice or the person getting the benefit of it? Ooh. Wow. That's a good question. Um, oh, Todd's by the way, cry. Shiro's <laughs> before, before Todd cries, Shiro's death actually gave me a it gave me a moment I was like, uh, wait a minute ken did you have feels at that moment I had, in time i had a couple of you know i had a little pang like, oh wow hero, man and feels for the japanese so age. well and it, was, and it was fantastic i mean in the sense that he was going anyway so it's not well, i like, mean the fact that they re they thought he was dead and then he kept going and uh, like how much strength of will do you have that's just amazing i i have to tell you when when i'll, I'll come back to the question but when they were saying that when the one guy said 
Yeah, I left. I only got to pull off his toenails. Oh. I, I, I at, at that point, I, I'll be honest, my stomach turned um, yeah. thinking about what would be involved with that. And, Snake Man is the worst. And, oh, he's the gross. And then to see that he was still alive when they found him in the chapel at the, at the airport, I mm -hmm. was just, I was, that was hard. That was hard. Um, as far as, uh, that kind of moment. Yeah. Um, yeah, there've been a few, um, for, uh, and I don't know about you guys, but, uh, I've, I've had a couple of people who have been willing to stand at the crossroads and help point out the choices, the, 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 the simple, clear choices, not all the myriad of, of fine tuning adjustments, but the simple, clear choices. One of them is a very dear friend of mine and he continues to be the one for me that when, when I am in the midst of all of my stuff, I say to myself, I don't want to let him down. Now he will probably, I don't think he listens to the podcast. Um, and, and I probably will never have that kind of conversation with him. Although we've had several other conversations that have been similar. Um, and as, and as much as I would love to say that sometimes it is a, it, it should be focused on a bigger, more grand, more pure sense of good and, and evil, right and wrong. Sometimes it's just about, about Steve and what Steve has done for me at different times. And does that change for the, for the one who gives and the one who receives? I will tell you that for it, at least for me, since he was the person at the crossroads for me, it has prepared me to be the person at the crossroads for others. And I try to live my life in such a way that when someone is, when someone is truly at the crossroads, uh, that I am able to be there to say, I'm here, I'm here to help. The choices are yours. I'll love you either way but I'm here to help. What, what, what do we, what do we need to do? How do we help you move forward? Um, and that's powerful, but I'll tell you what, I think as, as powerful as that was for, uh, for Harry in this book, um, I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't put it past the fact that that power, that magic, uh, of, of sacrifice that goes on in those kinds of moments I don't think we've seen the end of that. And I think that the, the cane slash sword slash his, the, the manifestation that Shiro has of his, of his uh, oath is going to continue to have influence on Harry in that way. I'm excited to see that. I think that's going to happen. I think so too. I, uh, yeah, I got Sorry. nothing more to add. But beautiful. I got nothing more to add to that. That was good. That was we're going to, I'm trying to figure out some way to, to, you know, bring it back to segue into silliness, be let's, back into not emotional and powerful and, well, well, and let, important well, like that. Let's talk about, <laughs> let's talk about Susan for a second. Can we, oh, let, me, let me ask you this one really quick though. Uh, That's what I was gonna say. Rev Damien uh, asks of the characters introduced so far, who do you think would make for the best replacement for Shiro? If any Murph, 
that's who I would say out of the characters that are already already uh, introduced. However, I feel like Murphy, there's something bigger for her. Yeah. Yeah. Mostly based on that whole, remember when he, he was unraveling that nightmare from her yeah. and she looked like the archangel or she archangel already or she already has her role and i don't i think the difference is that murphy has to discover it i think we're gonna i think we're gonna get an opportunity to see murphy grow in and discover yeah. that role yeah and that she's going to be as surprised by it as anybody um except for harry harry's gonna know it and he's gonna recognize it when it happens um I, I, I don't know that we've had, um, I don't know that we've had a real good character list to choose from yet. Yeah. I don't think so either, but, um, Kincaid is not the right choice. No. Oh no. no. no Marconi, no, no. not the right choice. No, no. Um, none of the alphas. Thomas, I don't think, could you choice. have a, a werewolf paladin? I don't know. That might be interesting. <laughs> that might be interesting. Could you see Billy the paladin? Um, but I, th I think that's, I think that's part of Jim's storytelling. I think so. Is that he knows who's, he knows who it's going to be. You think it's baby Harry? Ooh, could you well, imagine? Oh, man, I don't know if Charity could deal with that. Okay. Uh, now I don't know anything and it would make me sad, but what if time, you know, bounces far enough in this series that, that we get far enough that baby Harry becomes grown up Harry and he takes over for Michael. You know, because Michael goes down or something. Yeah, I can sad. see that. I can see that happening. I can but see I can, it happening. I don't know if the timeline would actually get that far ahead. But but I can also see that happening when Michael's working with Harry and Charity getting pretty pissed about the Harry <laughs> and Harry getting involved in all of that because she yeah. wouldn't, wouldn't stand for her son following in his father's footsteps if it meant that she that he still had to work with Harry Dresden. That's just not. I I can see I can see Charity just having a fit yeah you oh, said yeah. harry and harry and i immediately thought of you know the one little girl who's like no we already have a harry let's call you bill you, you can be bill yeah <laughs> that was bill. that was pretty good that, that was, was fantastic <laughs> i so it's hard i don't to keep it straight i don't think the person i don't think the person to take up fideliacus has been seen yet no that's, yeah. that's my no. guess on it i don't think we have so he's gonna write in a character named megan and she's gonna be the <laughs> one she's gonna there be you go. and it's gonna be a baseball bat there you go and here's the last one just because i want to let's knock out all the rest of the the palette and stuff and then we'll get on to, i know these are great um, Arandis asks, um, specifically me, the resident paladin, paladin guy, <laughs> how would you rate the Knights of the Cross to paladins from other series? Personally, I think that Michael is the most, I'll say complete. I don't know if that's the right adjective, but I think he's the most complete or whole version of a paladin that we've seen in, in most literature. I'm trying to go back and look at some of the other Paladins that we've seen, Mandarallon from yep. from the Belgariad. I think he was uh, pretty stereotypical. Yeah. Um, sword and board paladin, you know, mm -hmm. noble knight type thing. <laughs> um, Galad from the Wheel of Time was pretty milk toast. Um, there, there have been others, I'm sure, but I just Michael felt the most real to me. Mm -hmm. He's he feels like the most cheerworthy. Cheerworthy Hooray! is a great yeah the most paladin I would that I would most want to pull for but he feels like if if paladins were real he feels like the kind of person they would be what about Dalinar oh yeah. oh Dalinar is a good one we read some really good books you guys we really do people uh, if you are have not read some of these books you should read them if you haven't read Oathbringer and you are a paladin fan oh yeah um oh shit 
Oh, you, Todd. You, you need to read. You need to read. Um, there is the, the one thing about a paladin that we never, yeah. that we never really deal with. Um, and, and I think the reason that we don't deal with it is because the focus of the paladin is always the battle and it's the external battle. It's the swords, it's the shields, it's, it's all of the armor and it's the battle against life. And it's, it's the battle for life against those forces that would destroy life. Not that would take it, that would destroy it. Mm -hmm. And so it's always against evil. But what we miss in the midst of some of those that I think was beautifully told uh, in, in, uh, with, with the story of Dalinar up through this point is the price the paladin pays to live that life. Yep. And I think we're going to see that more with Michael mm -hmm. and Charity as this goes on. And, and, I, and I think, um, heaven forbid that I ever talk about D&D &D in the midst of all of this, <laughs> but, but we are seeing why D&D &D parties need to have a fighter and a magic user and a cleric yeah. And all of these, they, they need these different people because they fill different spots that are of absolute necessity at different times. Yep. Charity is the perfect healer to mm -hmm. try and make sure that things get taken care of. And Harry as the magic user and, and Michael as the fighter that have to go in and wade in after these things. Yeah, they fit on a very two-dimensional level, but on a three-dimensional level, Michael pays a huge price we are getting glimpses of that through charity and we are going to see more. I think so. And that is the piece that I think is under discussed, under, under reserved, underrepresented, underappreciated about the paladins is that there is an oath and that oath takes a cost. I think what we've learned today is paladins are awesome. They are. But so yeah, awesome. there, there's a reason they I don't are. want to date superheroes or paladins and it's because the people they love always get hurt. And I just... I just want to date like, you know, a computer analyst or something. There's my other favorite paladin, by the way. There's there's my other favorite paladin right there. Captain America. Any yeah. com any computer analysts that are out there that happen to live with it? Never mind. I mean Here's the last comment and we can then we can move on to, to Harry and Susan and you know Michael is what happens when all your points go into strength and charisma. <laughs> Well, yeah. <laughs> sure. Yes. <laughs>
Akivaran, Akivaran, Akivaran. I don't know. You know who you are. You know who you are. Interested to know what the panel thinks of the chapter with the encounter between Susan and Harry. <sighs> afraid you're going the to bring encounter? that up. Encounter? <laughs> wow. <laughs> Apparently, so, apparently Todd so, liked that okay. chapter. So I got to tell you, my favorite thing about that whole chapter was the, was the little bit of foreshadowing that was given during Harry's conversation with, with Molly. Uh-huh. And she's got all the handcuff yep. keys. And she's like, like maybe you should you tie just, her up. Why don't you just tie her up? And I'm thinking to myself, oh, Jim. Jim, if <laughs> I if, it, if I you? could have if I could have at that point had Jim Butcher's phone number, I would have called him up and said, "Dude, did you have to do it that way? Because we all know where this is going now." And I'm sure he would have laughed and said, "Keep reading," and hung up the phone. Um, because <laughs> because getting to that moment where, um, where they decide that they've had enough of not having enough of each other, um, that was that was one of the most interestingly I, I attended a panel I'm kind of dancing around this one because it's a little bit tough uh-huh. uh, but I attended a panel that was called writing the sins mm-hmm. um, and I was uh, I was madly writing down some information I had one gal that said yeah I can't tell my ecclesiastical leader that I actually write some of this stuff because he would probably be you know just really offended <laughs> um, but there is a there is a line that he does not cross it is it, the uh, Jim Butcher has done, a, uh, at least in my opinion, did a really wonderful job of making it quite erotic, but not pornographic. Yes, mm-hmm. and I was Agreed. I was impressed with the style that he used with his with his the way that he used his craft. Um, but I'll tell you what, if I'd have been a fifteen year old boy reading that thing, I'd have been pretty hot and bothered with you know reading all of the stuff that he was talking about because it was a lot. Yeah, yeah. I, I read that in the lunchroom at work and was like, I hope nobody can see my face right now. <laughs> <laughs> I quite enjoyed the chapter myself. I, um, so I appreciated that. What, what? So that's what you're into. Uh, no, <laughs> I don't know. We'll have to find me a computer analyst and find out. Uh, <laughs> I'll stop. I lost no, you my train of thought. Good down. job, Megan. Um, no, Harry, like, what struck me in that chapter is that Harry is trying so hard not to take advantage of Susan. Mm-hmm. He just really wants to be respectful. She's already said, we're not dating. This is not going to happen anymore. And he's trying to be respectful of that. And then this happens. And he has a need and she has a need. And she says later, like, this helped sate my issue. And I really appreciate that. Like, so that's what, But he didn't know at the time. That that would, and it was just really interesting the things that he had to do to ensure that she didn't feed on him um, during the, I don't know, it was very. Right. He was, he was as concerned, the, the, the. He was very concerned about her. The interesting thing was that it was not about satisfaction of, uh, it was not about a satisfaction of an individual lust. It was a, uh, it, it was a, um, a, ro- a relationship issue. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was delicately handled. Um, it was, it was danced around. Yeah. We're probably making this not fun for our audience and I'm sorry, but yeah. <laughs> they read the book. If they, they didn't read, the, read the, if they didn't read the book, they're now saying to themselves, I really got to read this book. Yeah. yeah. Um, the, but the other thing that I think that was that I, that I found really interesting was some of the choices, um, some of the, some of the recurring words that came back, her too warm touch, her too hot kiss, um, her too warm breath. Mm-hmm. There's an, there's an awareness of Harry that she is very different than she was before. Mm-hmm. And I think without that 
awareness that that this moment would not have had the same level of um, intensity mm-hmm. and for for us as readers would not have meant as much. Right. I, I do appreciate we, in the first couple of um, conversations, we had a lot of Reddit, Reddit comments about um, Harry being very misogynistic yeah. and the, his attitude towards women and the way that he describes women because we're getting all of this from his point of view. And it still and comes it was, back. You it know. does. Oh, I'm sure. It does, but it yeah. was interesting in this book how it really feels like Harry is growing and he's making a concerted effort. Like, he's still who he is. He likes to be chivalrous. He likes to open doors for women, sure. regardless of how they feel about it. Um, but there was a, a a comment where he's he's walking in with Susan into the gala. Yeah. Um, and he, he has a comment where he says, I had a lovely woman. No, I had Susan on my arm looking lovely. Yes. And I just thought that was really indicative of how he's evolving or at least how how his relationship with Susan has affected him yeah. and how much he really cares for her. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And doesn't that make it even more uh, a, a little bit more um, bittersweet when he pulls her pictures down? Yeah. Um, the fact that he recognizes that he cannot hold on for her, that he needs to be open to the fact mm-hmm. that he has to move on. Sure. Mm-hmm. Um, it was a it, it you know, it's a that that scene is both a culmination and a conclusion. And I think, so. I, I think while, I, while I fully anticipate we'll see Susan back, I wonder if we'll ever see Susan back in the same way. I don't know anything. This is not, this is pure speculation. Okay. But I have a feeling that this encounter, we're just going to keep using encounter because, you know, I have a feeling that it produces consequences, you know. Oh, are you saying that there's going to be another Harry Jr.? I'm just saying. Okay. I don't know if that's true or not. A half vampire Harry Jr.? She's not full vampire yet, so it would be like quarter vampire. Quasi vampire. Quarter vampire, quarter wizard. I don't know. She gave me water. Um, Or maybe. (laughs) Sorry. I heard quasi, not quarter. Sorry. All right. So I was thinking Quasimodo. Or maybe, maybe a baby that turns out to be, you know. Just very fine, you know, and normal. And and gets raised by Boring Martin. Yeah, right. Who, can I just say, reading through this, I was like, who could play Martin? Who's kind of, you know, the everyman? And it was Martin Freeman. Yes. Who is oh, incredible, yeah. but I yes. was like, he would just, he he's just so good at Martin Freeman that kind was, of thing, just being your That was exactly, when, when he was describing him, uh-huh. I was seeing Martin Freeman when he plays Watson. Yeah. In Sherlock. I just, oh, yeah. I could see that. I saw it just absolutely as this. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> I could, yeah, I could totally see that. Well, I was also that. seeing his character in Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, whose name I can't think of, Arthur Dent. Yes. yes. And I'm like, oh, yeah. It's kind of that guy that people just see and then they look over. Well, and it's great because Martin. He's brilliant. He, he proves himself to be, you know, not quite so milquetoast. So yeah. let's be, let's be honest about Martin for just a second. We, I don't know how many, I don't, I don't know if our listeners even care about this or if this is even anything that's going to happen, but I have several friends that have, uh, that have gone through the process of trying to become members of the, of the FBI or of the CIA. Mm -hmm. And I'm telling you right now, the more, the, the, the more outstanding you look, the less likely you are getting in. That's right. They look for you to be absolutely unremarkable yep. that's that scene in men in black where they're going to say you know that you're going to be dismissed as as deja vu and forgotten just as fast or any of those kinds of things the reality is 
for all of my friends that have been in the, and I have a couple that have been in the FBI or that have been in the CIA as field agents, they are physically, yes, capable, but when you look at them, they're, they are unremarkable yeah. and you, you can overlook them. Yeah. They work for that. And as soon as that happened, as soon as Martin is introduced as this guy that you would look past and all these kinds of things, uh, no, I knew there was something going to be th- that he was going to be some kind of a badass somewhere yeah. along the line. He's going to be more than meets the eye. But I did not picture it the cur- turning out the way it did. <laughs> that was awesome. <laughs> we need a distraction. Bam. Okay. That will Thanks. do it. <laughs> well, and that is his uh, critical role in the duel with Ortega. That's the one that I was talking yeah. about. Yeah. That's the one that oh, I was talking so about. That was that was good stuff. Uh, somebody, this was just a comment I pulled uh, talking about talking about this scene. They said it was at a con that Laurel K. Anderson or Ham, Laurel K. Hamilton, sorry, who's another author, um, said that it was impossible to have a BDSM scene to be a major plot point of a story. And Jim said on the same panel that this was his version of "Hold My Beer." <laughs> so. Wow. This was his, you want to bet? <laughs> wow. I'm so. not surprised. Um, that going back to that scene, I think, I think as a group, we've, we've done pretty decent, dis, pretty, yeah. pretty decent service. To I that. think we, I think we did a good job of giving it, uh, appropriate attention without getting Making into the salacious, the, or, salacious or titillating, yeah. you know, teenage fanboy. Yeah. Right. You know, I apologize. Yeah. I need to leave in three minutes. Um, so really quickly, I would like to tell you you why I thought that the ending was, there are so many things I would like to talk about, but I need, like, I, I started off telling you that I felt like the ending was a little bit unsatisfactory. So let's talk about it. All right. Uh, I, I just, I was annoyed because I'm reading through the whole thing and there's this amazing fight scene on a train and all this stuff is happening and thinking, oh my gosh, how is Harry going to get out of it? And then he just kind of jumps off the train and oh it doesn't really wrap up this like i was just i i was i mean hooray ortega got hit by a satellite but other than that nothing was really wrapped up and that bothered me yeah i'm like oh i know this is part of a series but all the other books had wrapped up their stories kind of neatly and i was expecting that and no it doesn't have to happen that way and i'm a grown-up and i can deal with it um and nicodemus is too cool a character to just do away with I felt that way about the wolves in the second book where I was, oh, that's too bad. They got rid of them so quickly. But I, I don't know. It just kind of, they had this huge thing. It was leading up to this big bang and then the bang didn't happen. and just kind of, just kind of ended. And you, I was disappointed. I'm sorry. In spite of all of the punching. Yeah. I will, I will, I will apologize. I'm sure Jim Butcher probably is saying, <laughs> He's saying, huh, forget wait, about that character named Megan with the magic baseball bat. Wait, yeah, right. Or either that or he's saying, wait until book seven. That'd be nice. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, I very much I have I hope the, that's true. I very much have the feeling, we've we've talked several times about the fact that there's a lot of, there's a lot of magic um, uh, descending and concentrating in the Chicago area. And I think we're starting to see some clues as to some set pieces that could be used to push that story forward. Yeah. So I think yeah. what I think what happened in this particular spot was they said, uh, Jim Butcher said, you know what? I've pushed this one as far as I want to push it right now. They need to, they, we need to, we need to 
um, we need to move forward with the rest of the story and mm-hmm. give it time for all of these other people it just, to come it's, back. It's difficult for me because, yes, as a series, it's a really good call. As an individual book, it's kind of like The Empire Strikes Back where it's probably the best Star Wars movie. But it's not really a self-contained. You can't just watch that nope. one. Yep. You could just watch Star Wars. You could maybe just watch Return of the Jedi. But you can't watch just the Empire. And so I kind of felt that same way with this one. Where I was like, it very oh. much. I, I guess it. Okay, it you're setting up. it up for something. And that's great. And I really enjoyed this book as a whole. But I just, I don't know. I, part of the disappointment probably was that I know that I don't get to read the next Dresden Files book right away. And yeah. so... I think for me, the the thing that made, because as I read it, I didn't have the same, I, I, I recognize the feeling, mm-hmm. but for me, the reaction was more along the lines of um, the, the thing that left me a little bit disappointed was Harry choosing to keep the Denarian yeah. in spite of Shiro's sacrifice. Yeah. I was hoping that Shiro's sacrifice would have been enough for Harry to understand that he must not walk that line too closely. And instead he walks it a little too close for, Mm -hmm. for my comfort as a reader. Mm -hmm. Um, And so for me, that, that, that aspect of the conclusion of, of this particular story also left me saying, Ooh, okay. Those two are good ones, but my biggest problem with the book and probably the, the, the most egregious thing is that when they go to the duel and he keeps calling the ballpark Wrigley Stadium. <laughs> yeah. Wrigley Stadium. It's Stadium. Yeah. It's Wrigley Field. Wrigley Field. It's Wrigley Field. It's you a and I've, ballpark. You and I have both been there. I've Call been there. it. Have you been there? It's, I went to a game a couple it's weeks a ago. Freaking, oh, that's right. You did. Yeah. You did. It's a ballpark. It's a ballpark. Call it a ballpark. Call it Wrigley Stadium. <laughs> Don't do it. I understand. This, this Wrigley is, Field. This is a man who friendly doesn't live in Chicago. Yeah. As a Cubs fan, as a lifetime Cubs fan, that just right there. You know, every time that Come came on, up, Jim. I said to myself, Ken is either just really thrilled or a little, or really disappointed. And <laughs> obviously it's both. I was so excited that that was where the duel was going to be. And then, it, you know. It winds up being what I'm it was. sure it was. It was still just fine. I'm sure it's fine. fine. But. Okay. Well, you two keep talking. I'm going to go. Um, I, I do want to talk. I have, one, I have one last thing that I want to talk about. And that is the duel. Oh, yeah. Um, I... I've, and and this again, this is one of those pieces woven throughout the uh, throughout the way that the whole thing goes, um, with the the you know you don't always have to fight. There's you know can you talk each other out of the fight? That worked out pretty good and didn't work out pretty good. Yeah. Um, and the idea that it would not be magic, it would not be physical, it would be will. Um, and the portrayal of that event. And Ken, I don't know if you expected like I did uh, the treachery that was going to show up, but seeing it show up the way that it did, um, that was one of those moments where I went, okay, that's why you never trust a vampire. Right, exactly. And and you knew it was coming and you knew there had to be something more. Yeah, it, I don't know. I, I almost am to the point where how can you just go into a situation where or an agreement with a red court member at all and go well this is going to work out you you always have to be looking for the for the uh what the other hand is i don't know how to there, i don't you know, know how i'm trying you to know say there, you know what you're looking at the right hand you got to be paying attention to the the left hand is doing. you know there's a double cross yeah every you time. know that the the red court and i think uh i think bianca uh 
demonstrate you know we had the demonstration of that with Bianca because we knew that she wanted she wanted Dresden dead mm-hmm. but if she couldn't get Dresden dead starting a war making him making him start a war would be enough right and so when we're looking at Ortega doing the same kind of thing Mm, okay, you know that there's going to be a double cross somewhere, but how is it going to come across? Well, I almost feel like Bianca was a pawn too. Like she, she went into that whole thing, started to start the war, but it seemed like it wasn't her idea anymore. It, it I, almost discounted what she went. I wonder what she created. Uh, and I wonder if we're ever going to find out if the whole, if, if Bianca was a pawn in that whole situation, or if it was uh, something that Bianca had done as a play for power and it just backfired. Here's a question for you from Pino Graham. Um, Thomas went back. She says. She says. Or he. I don't know. Yeah. Thomas went and backed up Harry when the (laughs) duel went sideways. It's the second time that he's backed up Harry when it would be in his better interest to get out of Dodge and leave Harry to rot. So why do you think Thomas is so ready to back up Harry when everyone from the vampire courts seems to be an enormous self-serving ass? I think he's an enormous self-serving ass. I think Thomas is using Harry to eliminate all of his competition. Ooh, I, I think, like that. I think Thomas has played. I, I've seen too many situations in fantasy, in uh, in in gangster films, in all of these kinds of things. I've seen too many situations where the dilettante is really a much more expert chess player than anyone is giving them credit for. I like that. And I don't know whether I don't know whether it happens often enough to call it a trope or not, but I see I, I'm I'm not sure yet if Thomas is truly a friend to Harry or if he is just using Harry to eliminate all of the competition so that he can step in and take over. I like that. I I thought it was probably because uh it pisses off his dad. And that to could hang be a, out with Harry. That could be a second piece, but I'll so. tell you what. I think dad's standing in his way too. And I think that, I think that Thomas is using this as a, as a self-serving situation to move himself forward. Oh, you like that? I like it. I like it a lot. I don't know if I'm right, but it sure, it sure would be a, an interesting story point if we went with that way. It would. I'm, my gosh, there's so much more. I, Nicodemus, all the things that he said about Harry's mom. So, yeah. And his dad, we have clear confirmation that they didn't just die. Yep. Now that, well, there were extraneous circumstances. Or do we? Again, we get this situation where demons have to tell the truth when they are summoned. Right. Nicodemus isn't a demon that was summoned. But I I feel like it was one of those circumstances where it is using the truth to benefit his, to benefit his uh, manipulation. It's, It's very possible. We also have we also have it in very clear evidence that they can mess with the truth, yeah, by giving part of a prophecy but not all of a prophecy to the knights um, about about what all of this should be going on. I'll tell you though the the piece that for me was the most surprising moment of the entire book was when Harry follows Marcone. Yes, at the very end there we get. Yep. I I love that we finally get some depth. To Marconi, he's not just, or Marcone, he's not just stereotypical bad guy, crime lord, you know, (laughs) I'm evil, you know, or whatever. There's actual some substance there. And it's a little bit of, I don't think it's going to be full uh, heel face turn Mm -hmm. type thing. But I think, I think it gives some, um, 
evidence for maybe at least a loose alliance coming up. I bet I bet they don't have a permanent alliance. There will be times where Harry and and Marcone clearly conflict or are on different sides of the of the situation, but it looks like there will be more opportunities for them to be on the same side of the problem. I think, yeah, I think you're right. Um, I think we, and I think we've got enough mutual respect between these two people, especially because uh, for Harry, he's, he's very much about protecting those who cannot protect themselves. Right. And in this situation with, with everything going on, we don't have any information about why this woman uh, whether it's Marcone's wife or child, I, I bet daughter. That's my. It seems that's like my daughter. Guess. Looks it like seems daughter. Like yeah. daughter um, is is in this situation. But what we do have is something that very clearly appears to fall within the area that Harry would be interested in serving mm-hmm. and protecting. So it's going to be interesting to see how that piece plays out. I'm sure it's going to have an influence. And it, it clearly, it's a it's a chance for both of them to appeal to each other's humanity and and see them as something more than just you're the bad guy. Yep, you're just you're, you're, you're my adversary. Yeah. No, you're a human being and you have problems too. Yep. And Harry gave him respect. And and if there's anything that I've learned from gangsters on television, it's that you give them respect and they'll give you back respect. I, clearly, and, that's the case. And we're so glad that television <laughs> teaches us these things. Well, right. this has been, uh, we, we would, uh, as, as we've all kind of indicated, maybe we could do this in, you know, 10 little Indians and, and we get down to one, but, oh, uh, the reality is there is, there is so much to talk about. Please engage with us on Reddit on more of these issues as after this uh, episode airs, because we'd love to chat with you a little bit more about some of these kinds of things, but we kind of have to bring it to a close. So thanks very much everybody for joining us. And, uh, next week, uh, night angel. Am I remembering correctly? No, there's something um, new coming. I'm not sure. Sh- oh, Hobbit is next. Hobbit. No? Doomsday. Oh, Doomsday. Oh, that's right. That's right. Doomsday. Uh, Doomsday book with a special guest. Uh... Oh, okay. Uh, Craig and I will be uh, joined by Andrew Claven. Oh, very who's cool. Who's a crime writer. He's he's legend. He's been around forever. He's written crime novels, written screenplays. Um, this is a book that uh, we'll be talking about with him that he's pitched to us. And so here we go. Okay. Very so cool. Doomsday book next, and then I think Red Team ca- tackles the Hobbit after that. And then uh, if you are if you are following what Blue Team does, Blue Team will be tackling the last of the Doom books, God Emperor of Dune, coming up in three weeks. I guess that makes us yeah, something like so that. So we got a little bit of time to read. It's a good thing because it is a long book. And yes, that will be the end of the Dune cycle that we will be running. So uh, those of you that have those of you that have been go- joining us for that entire cycle. Uh, we'll be bringing that one to a close, bringing it home with uh, God Emperor of Dune. Yes, we know there's more stuff, but at least at this point in time, we're going to be putting a little bit of a bow on that, and we'll decide where we go from there. Thanks, everybody, for joining us. We'll see you next time. Uh, we have to turn off the oh yeah thing. Oh, it's gonna get hot in here. Do I need to? Do I need to move? It's getting hot in here, so take off all your clothes. I'm gonna take my clothes off. Okay. And I, that has been recorded. <laughs> I, I want it. I want it clear that I was not singing anything at that moment in time. He did not sing anything.
I'm the token old man in the room. 